Welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast. Coming up. As we get older, our skin can get drier and these sorts of things can have an impact on our skin quality. And a, a very low fat diet makes our skin very, very dry. Every single one of our cells in our whole body is surrounded by a little fat layer. And ideally, we'd like the fat that's in those cells to be um, coming from the healthier types of fats. So things like omega-3 fatty acids from fish or from um, olive oil or from avocado or nuts, those kinds of fats rather than the processed fats or the saturated fats that we can um, sometimes slip into having more of in our diets. I'm your host, Danielle Collins, and I'm the world-leading face yoga expert, best-selling author of the book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, and creator of the international teacher training program, the Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. 17 years ago, I healed myself from chronic illness, and I've spent the last 15 years teaching, sharing, and serving millions of people in person, on TV, and online to help them look and feel the best version of themselves. This podcast is about giving you simple, effective, natural tips and advice, and sharing knowledge and insight from industry experts. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media, as it means so much if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast, as it allows more people to feel healthier and happier naturally. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This is the Face Yoga Expert Podcast. Hi, how are you doing today? So I have got a lovely guest on the podcast this week. Her name is Sophie Medlin and she's a well-recognised consultant dietitian in London. She's worked as a lecturer in King's College in London. She's the go-to spokesperson for so many TV shows, for magazines and newspapers, and she's really informative on social media as well. She has a lot of specialist knowledge skills. She worked for many years in the NHS. And in this episode, she talks a lot about what we should and we shouldn't eat in a really healthy, balanced way. Everything that she speaks about is very much evidence-based. We dive into what we should be eating for our skin, how this can firm our face. We also talk about general health in terms of boosting our mood, what we should and shouldn't eat during this quarantine period. It's such an informative podcast. I feel like you're really going to love it. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing her. She's got such a calming manner about her too. So let's get into the podcast now. Let me know if you enjoy it. I always love hearing from you. And if you get two minutes, I would love if you could rate and review the podcast too. So let's get going with Sophie's episode. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Face Yoga Expert podcast. How are you doing today? I am well, Danielle. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on and I have so many questions to ask you. Excellent. And I really want to sort of dive in just by knowing a little bit about your story and how you actually became a dietitian. Yeah, of course. So um, I was a strange 15-year-old child that knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, so I was studying um, catering, so I was really interested in food and cooking, and I was also studying sciences, and I really enjoyed those. And my catering teacher said to me, well, why don't you have a look at nutrition, because I think you'd enjoy it. And so I started doing some research, and like lots of people at that time, I didn't know the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. 
And what I found out was that as a dietitian, I can work as a nutritionist or as a dietitian. And the difference being that dietitians work in medicine and are trained to work in hospitals and work with sick people, whereas nutritionists are trained in the science of nutrition and they can apply that mainly to working with healthy people rather than sick people. So I decided I wanted to be a dietitian so that I'd keep as many doors open to myself as possible. So I went off and trained and then I spent eight years working in the NHS, which was wonderful. I did a big stint of that time looking after people who had complex bowel surgery. So different bits of your gut do different jobs in terms of nutrient absorption um, and the absorption of different salts and different bodies of fluid and things like that. And then I I looked after those patients, helping them to uh, change their experience of eating and make sure they're getting all the nutrients that they need. Um, I then worked as a lecturer and researcher. So I was a lecturer and researcher for five years, uh, most recently at King's College London. And then about a year ago, a little bit longer, I stepped out of academia altogether. And now I run my business. So I look after patients individually. So one-on-one clients I see in my clinic in Farringdon normally. And then I do consultancy for businesses. And I also do a lot of media work. So I kind of keep my finger in lots of pies. But in summary, my career keeps me very interested and I cover a lot of ground in terms of nutrition and the different expertise within it. Gosh, you are busy. <laughs> that's amazing. And I love that you knew at age 15 that that's what you wanted to do. Because often, even if we do feel we want to do something at 15, our career often takes us in different directions. But that's so lovely that still it's something that you're obviously so passionate about. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I feel like, you know, nutrition is quite a young science. And that means mm. that we're constantly learning. We're constantly picking up new new ideas. Everyone's interested in it. And it's just become kind of exponentially more interested. The public, let's say, have become exponentially more interested in it since I've been working. And funnily enough, you know, when I when I started working, everyone said, oh, nutrition is going to be really, really, you know, everyone's going to be really interested in it really soon. And at the time, I thought that that meant that, you know, we'd get loads of funding in the NHS and there'd be lots of exciting jobs within the NHS for dietitians. And actually, as, as everyone will remember, the, the public interest in nutrition just exploded in a completely different direction. And, and Instagram became hugely popular and everyone was interested in, in people who were sort of lending expertise where they perhaps hadn't had any training and things like that. So it's very interesting Most people now get their public health messages from Instagram, and I think there's very little regulation of those messages. So it's a very interesting time to be working in the field that I'm in. Definitely. It's definitely an interesting time. And something which I really love that you talk about a lot is the evidence-based nutrition, because there are so many myths out there. There are so many fads and there is so many positives with social media because it is allowing people to have nutrition advice in a very accessible way. But there seems to be a downside about that too. What's your experience of that in terms of sort of myths and fads that, that you're seeing at the moment? Every week, Danielle, there's a new superfood, there's a new fad, there's a new diet. I get called up by the media to ask questions on, answer questions, sorry, on diets I've never even heard of. And it's it's a very strange, you know, time, I think. It's nice. Social media offers us this opportunity to learn from other people. And food is, you know, food is so much more than just science or just nutrition. It's, It's culture, it's it's all of these wonderful things. So it's nice that people can share their thoughts and philosophies around food with others. uh, And that can be positive. It's when the messages are around, um, you know, eat like me to look like me, I think is a really dangerous message, because 
people believe that if they copy what you eat, that they'll look like you and be like you. And of course, we're all completely individual and everyone's bodies are different and everyone's metabolisms are different. That's just not something that actually works for anybody. You end up disappointed. I think that the biggest worry for me with social media nutrition is people getting dragged into um, very restrictive patterns of eating. Um, So whether that's the sort of eating disorder like anorexia or bulimia that we see, or the sort of orthorexia pattern where people become really obsessed with healthy eating. And so it might be dressed up as a healthy eating thing and you just eat these particular foods and you're trying to eat clean all the time or you're trying to be completely vegan or whatever it might be. And actually that's not necessarily a healthy thing for you. And it can become something that becomes quite obsessive and unhealthy and takes over your life. So I think that's kind of my worry and my biggest worry with social media really. Definitely. And there are so many sort of celebrities or influencers saying that certain products or supplements are good to take or go on this diet. And I think particularly for a younger generation, teenage girls in particular, can be very impressionable with this type of thing and want to look a certain way. And it's only a tiny snapshot of information they're getting from Instagram. And something which I do is I only follow people in the nutrition or or dietitian sort of world that one are highly qualified but two are very evidence-based and actually thirdly don't do these sort of what I eat in a day type videos all the time because I think it can be quite damaging for a lot of people because actually a little snapshot of what one person eats in a day can and then you try and replicate that it's not a full representation really of what their diet should be like or, or is like and then what that person should be doing do you do the same thing sort of just follow people that you know are well qualified and also giving the right information out there totally yeah absolutely mm. I call that and I speak to my clients about it social media hygiene so right. getting rid of people who spread messages that you think perhaps are not very healthy unfollowing Mm -hmm. people who you maybe suspect don't have a very healthy relationship with food or their body is really helpful because there's plenty of people who are well qualified they might be dietitians they might be nutritionists they might be doctors who are sort of promoting and demonstrating very unhealthy relationships with food or with exercise or with their own bodies and I think we have to just be quite careful about um making sure that we only follow accounts that feel we feel serve us in some way and make us feel positive that sort of comparison of our bodies against somebody else's is always unhealthy for us. So, you know, there's no need as a, as a nutrition expert or as a scientist to get your own body out on social media. In my opinion, it's not going to mm-hmm. serve anyone else apart from yourself because you get lots of likes. Mm-hmm. So let's just think a little bit carefully about what, what helps you and what doesn't help you um, in terms of your own personal kind of goals with wellness. Definitely. And it should always come from a place of trying to help people and definitely evidence-based and a bit of common sense as well, I think. Yeah, you know, totally. It is definitely part of it. And something at the moment that obviously is on everybody's mind is being in lockdown and being quarantined. Now, I think that eating habits can massively be either influenced from social media or programmes we're watching on things like Netflix, or it can be influenced by emotions that we're going through. So the motions that we all go through every day, which can be from acceptance and joy all the way to feeling really low, feeling emotional. How do you think that we can stay healthy in terms of our eating habits whilst we're in lockdown? 
yeah, it's a very interesting time. And uh, mm. I've been running webinars with companies. So I've had the privilege of getting a really good insight into how lockdown is affecting people's eating. And what I've learned and what I suspected would be the case is that we certainly do have this cohort of people who are being able to use the time in lockdown to cook food that perhaps they don't normally have time to cook, to exercise in a way that perhaps they don't normally have time to. And so actually there are some people who are using this time to be able to be maybe a bit healthier even with their diet than they normally would be able to. That's about looking at about looking like about 50% of people, whereas the other half of people are really struggling and are finding that they're constantly going to the cupboards for extra snacks and eating things that they wouldn't normally eat um, and are perhaps finding that the stress and anxiety and also the maybe boredom and restriction of isolation is driving them to less healthy eating behaviours. So I've been doing a lot of work on trying to support people who are either struggling with stress and eating because of stress and anxiety or because of boredom, or sometimes people just are finding that the fridge is so close and it's so convenient mm. that they're just mindlessly eating. So I've got some workshop and things that I've been doing with people around those kinds of topics. And I'm, I'm happy to share some of those with you if that would be helpful. Please do, yes. So particularly around stress and anxiety, eating because of stress and anxiety, if you recognize or you suspect that that's going on for you, the key is to work on your stress management techniques. And I feel like, Danielle, you've probably covered this in different sessions and it's perhaps not necessarily something we need to go into in great depth. But you do have and we all do have this opportunity at the moment to work on little things that might actually help our, our long term and short term stress management. So things when you notice that you think you want to eat something and you realize it's not because you're hungry it's because you might be stressed or anxious or a bit bored or whatever it can be really useful to do other things that can help to lower your cortisol your stress hormone level when we are stressed it's a raise in this cortisol this stress hormone that's going on in our body and that has a cascade effect through your whole body we need to remember that that cortisol rise that's a fight or flight hormone so that hormone is telling you that in a minute you're going to have to run away from something or fight something. But with this particular crisis, we need to stay still and sit down and rest. Mm -hmm. But your body will be telling you that you need to fuel it up. You need to get, go and get lots of fuel so that you can fight something or run away from it. So we're kind of fighting this losing battle in a way. And one of the risks and one of the things that lots of people do naturally when we're physiologically drawn to go and eat high energy foods when we do, the issue is that we're sort of fueling that stress response. You know, we're giving fuel to that fire that's going on and it's completely normal. And it's what lots of us will do. And it's understandable because that's what your body's telling you to do. But what your body really needs, if you think about it, is something that's going to lower that cortisol level. It's going to calm that stress down rather than give it fuel to perpetuate it. So things like meditation are obviously amazing really helpful for lowering that cortisol response and at the moment while we are in lockdown we've got this amazing opportunity to practice some of these things that maybe we wouldn't normally be able to do when we're at our desk at work so actually you could take five minutes to lie on the ground or sit in a comfortable position and just do a five minute guided meditation or something that can just create a sense of calm for you so something that creates a sense of calm and feeling like you can deep breathe deeply and take in your surroundings and tell your brain and your body that actually now it's safe and everything's fine. That can really, really help to take the edge off those food cravings and give your body what it really needs. 
sometimes people love dancing to their favorite music or putting on a track that gives them some feeling of being uplifted or happy or positive or a sort of music that might make them feel more calm. And again, it's a great time to explore different playlists. You can maybe put yourself together a playlist of three songs and call it call each of them something different. So you could have one for joy, one for calm, one for peace, whatever it might be, and the words that feel right for you. And you can put those songs on and just feel a bit differently, get yourself into a different space and do that deep breathing that you need to be doing. That stuff really works. Even things like watching cat videos or comedy videos mm, or whatever yeah. helps you to laugh, helps you to feel, get those endorphins going, feel more positive. So it's about kind of tuning into what your body actually wants and what your body really needs in that moment, rather than giving in and just giving it food, which is ultimately what it's calling for, but it's not what's going to actually serve you in that moment. That's so, such good advice. Yeah, that stress stuff, I think, is great for now, but it's also great for the future. You know, if you can get your stress management techniques in place and find five or six different things that make you feel much calmer and create that sense of peace, you can use them in the future you know, your long-term health will benefit, even like things like self-care. So some of perhaps some of your face yoga stuff, Danielle, or anything that feels positive is a really great way of releasing hormones that are calming hormones that counteract that cortisol and will ultimately lower our cravings for these high energy foods. Definitely. And in terms of sort of foods that we can maybe eat, which are going to lower our cortisol, help us feel a little bit calmer. Are there any sort of key foods that you say that we could integrate into our day if we are suffering at the moment from stress or anxiety? So I just want to take a brief pause in today's episode to tell you a little bit about our distance learning program in face yoga. So this is if you want to become a certified face yoga teacher. We run a fully accredited program. It's accredited by the International College of Holistic Medicine and the Register of Exercise Professionals. And it fully qualifies you to teach face yoga anywhere in the world, in person or online to groups and individuals. Now, distance learning is perfect at the moment, particularly if you are in quarantine or lockdown. It means that you can study the manual in your own time at your own pace. So you'll send the manual and you will study all of the lessons. So this is everything from the frequently asked questions that you may get as a face yoga teacher, the anatomy and physiology of the face, how to correctly teach all of the techniques, how to put together one-to-one -one sessions, how to put together group sessions. There's there's also business advice on there too. And once you've done all your study of the manual and the videos, you complete a written assignment. And then after you've done that, you do a Skype call with your trainer. So you can choose to have one of our super trainers as your trainer, or you can choose to do it with me. Either way, you do a Skype call. And during that Skype call, you do a 10 minute practical examination. So this is just putting together a mini face yoga class, which you teach to either me or your trainer. It's absolutely Absolutely nothing to worry about. So many of our teachers feel nervous at the beginning, but then soon as they have done it, they are so pleased that they've done that practice. And it is such a good practice of planning a face yoga session and then teaching it. And you also get plenty of time in that Skype call to ask any questions, anything you're concerned about. 
And after you've done both your written assignment and your practical assignment, you're sent an email which confirms that you've passed the course, all the follow-up information you'll need, and you're posted your certificate. And you become one of our Face Yoga family. So that means that you're part of this big community of teachers of the Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. You're promoted on our website. You're listed on there as a qualified teacher so people can find you when they're looking for a teacher in their area. And at the moment, if you are in quarantine, you can start teaching online. So via Skype or Zoom or in any other way that suits you. So if you'd like more information on how to be one of our certified teachers, just go to faceyogaexpert.com and just click teacher training and all the info's there. So let's get back to this week's episode. So again, one of the things that's tricky is that we have this tendency to eat these really high energy foods often those foods are higher in refined carbohydrates and sugars and if we have this sort of constant um up and down of our blood sugars through the day our body's constantly sort of having to ride this wave of glucose which can be really difficult for us physiologically and mentally it's not that sugar is terrible or poison or any of these things that we hear, but certainly if we are stressed and we're also asking our body to work quite hard to process this sugar and to be in different states all the time, that can be unhelpful. So slow release energy foods are important. Snacking on things like nuts can really help. Nuts and yogurt and those higher protein foods that just, just don't have that same impact on your blood sugars can be really helpful. In terms of general mental health, we know that the closer we kind of edge towards a Western diet pattern, so eating lots of processed foods, lots of these kind of refined snacks, lots of foods that have been through factories and come out in a packet, mm-hmm. that pattern of eating, it puts us at higher risk of things like diagnosed stress, uh, sorry, anxiety and depression. So we don't know whether that's because often those foods displace healthier foods like nuts and seeds and fruit and vegetables and things or whether there's something in those foods themselves that drive our brains towards anxiety and depression. The healthier foods we eat, so things like whole foods, the things that are single ingredient foods, nuts, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, those kinds of things, the closer we are to protecting our brains from anxiety and depression and making us feel better, and the better we can cope with these kinds of day-to-day stresses. The risk, of course, is that we become obsessed with eating only healthy foods, that we become very worried about it, that we become over-anxious about it. So there is a tipping point with these things, and it's important that you can still enjoy foods that bring you joy without stressing about it, whilst knowing that actually eating well is an important part of self-care and will protect your head and your body from this kind of really stressful and difficult time. Definitely. And it is about finding that balance, you know, eating healthy most of the time. You know, I've always said the 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of the time you're eating those foods that nourish your body that are healthy. But occasionally it is fine to have a treat because like you say, there's also that sort of mental relationship with it and and having some things that do bring you a little bit of joy. That's that's so important too. Totally. Yeah. Especially with Easter just gone, I think, you know, so many people feel anxious and stressed about having a bit of chocolate at Easter and Easter's, you know, a very small proportion of the year. And those foods which are culturally relevant and significant to you and your family at that time should be things that you treasure, not things that make you feel anxious and stressed and unhappy, you know. We we have all this pressure around us all the time to be perfect and to have a perfect Instagram diet. And, you know, we read magazines about, 
you know, guilt-free recipes on low calorie this and low calorie that, mm. that actually, you know, our, our relationship with food and our bodies is really precious. And we need to be aware that some foods we eat are purely for joy and that is okay. I completely agree, definitely. And that moves actually really nicely into the next thing that I would love to ask you about. And that's what foods that we can eat to nourish our skin. Now, lots of my listeners do their daily face yoga. So they're doing strengthening and toning exercises for the muscles. They're focusing on relaxing tension in the face. They're doing massage for the skin, which is obviously helping the circulation. And they're integrating that with breathing techniques, meditation and yoga. So what would you say would be really nice to include in our diet is if we are doing face yoga and we want to complement that with our diet in a really nice balanced way in the way you've just talked about? If we think about the structure of our skin, the things that we know are helpful are making sure that you get plenty of the things that can help you to produce collagen. And there's lots of talk about taking collagen supplements and actually when you take external collagen it will just be broken down in your digestive tract like any other protein and if you take it then it prob- your body will probably prioritize bits of your skin or bits of your body where collagen is actually really important so it's likely to co- prioritize repairing a small wound that you might not even know you have repairing a slight muscle tear that you don't even know that you have rather than your facial skin which we can't really target specifically when we take something orally So making sure that you get plenty of vitamin C, which is one of the components of collagen. So vitamin C comes from any fruits and vegetables, fresh, frozen, tinned, anywhere. So getting plenty of vitamin C is really helpful. And then getting plenty of protein is really helpful. So protein is a real trend towards plant-based diets, which is great. But it's still really important that you get complementary protein. So you get all of your essential amino acids when you are taking having a vegan diet. And that can be quite difficult to achieve. So it's just important to make sure that you've got lots of good quality protein sources from various different types of protein. Whether you are a plant-based person or a meat-eating person, having lots of plant protein is very important for meat-eaters as well. So getting a good variety of different protein sources really helps with skin, uh, good quality skin. But certainly those antioxidant vitamins, so again, coming from lots of different fruits and vegetables, can help to combat some of the environmental stresses that we all have on our skin all the time and keep us looking and feeling and our skin looking nice and glowing and all that kind of stuff that we all look for. Also, healthy fats are important. And particularly as we get older, our skin can get drier and these sorts of things can have an impact on our skin quality. And a a very low fat diet makes our skin very, very dry. Every single one of our cells in our whole body is surrounded by a little fat layer. And ideally, we'd like the fat that's in those cells to be coming from the healthier types of fats. So things like omega-3 fatty acids from fish or from um, olive oil or from avocado or nuts, those kinds of fats rather than the processed fats or the saturated fats that we can um, sometimes slip into having more of in our diets. So those are kind of the main things. The other things about drinking plenty of water, which I'm sure you talk about all the time mm. and avoiding. And how, ma- how much water would you recommend for general health, but also for the skin as well? So the guidance is that if you're under the age of 60, that you need 35 mils of water per kilogram of body weight as a minimum. So you can all do that calculation if you want to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For most people, that will land at about two, two and a half litres a day. 
And it, how about if you are over 60? If you're over 60, you need about 30 mils per kilo per day. Okay. You need a little okay. bit less as you get older. Great. And in terms of the skin, what do you think about things like tea and coffee, fizzy drinks, even things like processed fruit smoothies and um, processed fruit juices? I think I know your answer to all of this, but how can that affect the skin? So certainly with caffeine and um, with anything that dehydrates us, alcohol is another really important one mm-hmm. that can really impact us, the, our kind of skin quality. And it's not that that's going to necessarily be permanent or last forever. It's not like one coffee or one day where you've had some alcohol will have an impact. It's that long term buildup of these choices that we make day to day or the choices that we make every like most weeks, that sort of thing that have an impact. If it's occasional or if it's something that, you know, you're doing. Yeah. But if it's occasional or small doses, mostly people will be completely fine and won't see an impact. So it is just a case of um, making the choices that feel right for you, but also that you know are going to have a less of an impact on your long-term goals, whether they're aesthetic goals for the way you look or how you feel in yourself and those kinds of things. So yes, anything that dehydrates us, tea, coffee, alcohol in particular, can have an impact on our skin quality and will make a difference. In terms of things like processed sugars, so things like smoothies and juices and all that kind of stuff, there isn't any evidence that they will have an impact on our skin quality. And if anything, you're getting plenty of antioxidants and all those kinds of things from them so that can be a positive thing in an ideal world we eat the whole fruit (laughs) so we eat the whole piece of fruit or the whole vegetable or whatever we're having which helps to balance out the amount of sugar that we're getting from those those juices and obviously in an ideal world if you're making things yourself and you're having small quantities then that can be a useful way to get in plenty of fruits and vegetables if you're struggling elsewhere Definitely. What I tend to do, because I really love smoothies, but rather than getting the shop-bought ones, I've got a Nutribullet. And what I tend to do is I tend to put some of the fruit in for sweetness, but then I tend to put in plenty of fetch in there. And then I make sure I add protein and the healthy fats as well. And I find that if I make it like that, then I don't feel that blood sugar spike. And also it's a way that I can actually get things like spinach and broccoli down me at breakfast time, which to be honest, (laughs) wouldn't normally happen. (laughs) So would you say it's better to sort of make your own smoothies and try and include, sometimes I'll put a bit of pea protein powder in, or I'll put some cashew nuts or almond milk or almond in to get that protein do you think that's better to make your own smoothies if you are a fan of smoothies totally and I think that the important thing as you say is to think about how much fruit you could realistically eat in a sitting so try not to put in four or five different portions of fruit because you really would struggle to eat that and like you say balancing that out with some vegetables is really really helpful so kale for example chopped up kale freezes beautifully a few handfuls of that or spinach even in a in a smoothie is really excellent, really great. Cucumber goes in them beautifully and creates that nice texture that people might want. But yes, I usually advise some Greek yogurt. So sometimes 0% fat, depending on what my client's trying to achieve. But some Greek yogurt gives you an excellent protein source in a smoothie. Ticks off lots of different boxes in terms of micronutrients like calcium and B vitamins and all this kind of stuff that are really helpful to start your day with as well. So yes, and makes it super creamy as well. Nice yeah. and creamy, isn't Delish, it? It's <laughs> really satisfying, keeps you going, which is what you need. Whereas just fruit, and particularly where it's made with blended fruit and then fruit juice, your blood mm-hmm. sugars are going to zip up really, really quickly. 
and then drop down really, really quickly, making you really hungry again by mid-morning, which is not what any of us are really uh, looking for generally. Definitely. And something I love that you mentioned earlier was frozen vegetables and tinned as well, because I think we tend to always feel that if we're buying fresh, then it's better for us than frozen. But correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes frozen vegetables can actually have more nutritional benefit than, say, a carrot that has been around in our fridge for a week and maybe was travelling for a while before it even got to the supermarket and then got to us. Am I right in saying that, that sometimes actually the the frozen veg can can be better for us? Yeah, totally. So blueberries are a great example of this. So when blueberries have been picked and they're going to get picked to go on, our super, on the supermarket shelves, they're going to be picked a little bit earlier than they would ideally like to be. So they're not quite the, as fully ripened and not all the nutrients have developed in the same way as we would like them to be. So they're picked earlier so that they last until they've been on the lorry and they get to the supermarket and everything else then they sit on our supermarket shelves for however long they do and then they'll sit in our fridge for however long and all that time some of the nutrients and not all of them but some of the nutrients will be we call it denaturing so reducing in in quantity essentially and that can then mean that they're less good for us than the blueberries that have been picked on site and then frozen immediately once they've been picked and then that that's it then that's all the nutrients locked into them and they're ready to be released into your body once you eat them. So definitely freezing is a really useful method. With canning, there is an issue with the heat treatment that we use in the canning process, which can denature some of the vitamins as well, so reduce the quality of them. But if the choice, especially at the moment when we're in lockdown, if the choice is between canned vegetables or canned fruit or no fruit or no vegetables then the choice should always be canned. And that's absolutely fine. It's not that you're not getting anything from them. It's just that they're less, the nutrients are less um, available than they would be if they were fresh or frozen. Definitely. That makes sense. And something I'm finding at the moment, which I think is going to change my shopping habits and, and eating habits long term, is because we've got so many lovely farms and farm shops around us, we never used to make use of them. But now, obviously, during lockdown, it's difficult to get to supermarkets. There's long queues. There's obviously risks we're going in them. We've got some of these lovely farm shops around us that are doing delivery services. So we're eating a lot more local fruit and veg. And I just feel like that's something, it just feels right, if that makes sense, rather than buying something which has come from, I don't know, Brazil and, you know, and then it's in your fridge, whereas it's been grown in the farm 10 miles away from us. So that's really good. Do you feel that if we can eat locally, that's a, a good thing to do? Absolutely. I grew up in mm. Devon, so I'm a I'm a farm girl. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, you... I grew up in Devon too, actually. <laughs> yeah, in Plymouth. Oh, I'm a Plymouth girl as well. Oh, no way. Oh, my goodness. Well, all my family is still there. So, um, yeah, I lived there until I was 18 and I moved to Bath, where I live now, um, for university and stayed here ever since. But still, my parents are there, my husband's parents, my sister and her family are there. So, how funny. Um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Yampton. So just outside oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, well, I'll let you carry on with your, yeah, your story about the local <laughs> food. Small world. Yeah, so I think local is really important. And, you know, that does also mean that things haven't been necessarily sat on a lorry for quite so long and all this kind of thing. I think it's important that we recognise that even if something comes from a supermarket but has come from a farm, 
even if the farm might be, you know, two minutes from your house, it will have had to go to the sort of supermarket sorting office and warehouses, and which might be a really long way away. And it's come all the way back down to right next door to where your house is, for example. So as much as uh, supermarkets supporting local farmers is a good thing, if you can buy direct from the farmers or you can buy uh, from small farm shops or independent people, then, you, you know, you are supporting local businesses and local local people, real people. But, you know, the food will have done less miles. It would have had to travel less. It's probably been on the shelves for less time and all these kinds of things. There's lots of benefits to that, both nutritionally, but also ethically, um, environmentally and all those other things that we think about when we think about food and its impact on our lives. Definitely. That makes sense. And what are your favourite foods? Not only as a, a sort of dietitian, without your dietitian hat on, just as a just as a human being, just as Sophie, do you have any foods that you really love in particular? I love all food, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a massive foodie. It's a big part of my quality of life. So I'm super lucky to live in London where the restaurant culture is just amazing. So I'm always having the opportunity to try, or normally, apart from when we're in lockdown, to try new restaurants, to try new foods that I'm excited by, to you know go and experience the amazing food by a new chef or by a chef that started a new venture. So yeah, I'm a massive, massive foodie and I am careful about how much meat I eat at home because I think uh, we can struggle to get the quality of meat that we might like, particularly in London. But outside the house, I eat whatever I want to um, from good quality restaurants and things like that. I'm really bad at choosing my favourite of anything because I'm what I eat and what I want to eat is so dictated by my mood and what I fancy at that time and what what's gonna you know make me feel the happiest in that moment so I'm really bad I cooked like a Moroccan lamb dish uh, for Easter which was really delicious so I kind of created a Moroccan spice mix and uh, slow roast lamb and I had it with some really nice salads and some roasted new potatoes which is delicious at this time of year so yeah that kind of food is my thing really that's amazing. And do you find after you've had a day of clients, you've been talking about food all day, you sort of get home, you think, oh, I don't want to think about food now. Or do you find that you're sort of fired up and you want to cook an amazing meal with loads of different nutrients? Or does it just vary day to day? It massively varies. But I would <laughs> say that absolutely talking about food all day does make you think about food all day. I could eat this or I could eat that and I think one of the sort of hallmarks of a good dietitian is being able to be excited with your clients so very often particularly for my complicated bowel patients I'm saying here's a list of foods that you really can't eat or that foods that are likely to cause you problems but I also need to be able to say here's all the foods that you can eat and here's all the exciting things you can make with them and look at all those nice things you can still have and we can do this and I'll send you some recipes so being excited with your clients about food and being able to think about all the lovely things that people can have and and should have in their diet is really helpful so yes often that means that I'm thinking oh if I was you I would make this and I would have this and I'd eat loads of things (laughs) so that does mean that I am constantly thinking about food and constantly sort of getting excited with people about what I could eat and what we could eat and what they could eat so it's um a mixture really but often I'm working until you know let, often my clients come and see me in the evening so often I'm working until quite late and I don't like to eat late at night it doesn't make me feel very good so sometimes I am exhausted by the time I get home and I'm not eating as exciting a food as my clients might be going home to eat which is a bit of a shame <laughs> 
I love that though. It's good to have that sort of balance of everything. And But I can imagine that thinking about food all day, you must just be constantly thinking, oh, I just fancy that at the moment or I could just eat that. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. funny. Yeah, love that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we finish, Sophie, I'd love just to hear a little bit about what you do in terms of self-care and maybe anything you can share with our listeners about maybe your top tips for inner peace and looking after yourself, whether it be at the moment during lockdown or just generally. I know you shared some lovely tips about meditation and breathing earlier, but anything that you personally do or anything you'd like to share with us? Of course. So I've in the past had really difficult problems with my mental health. And that's meant that now I'm very, very careful about the things that I do every day that make me feel happy and healthy and still uh, and, you know, at peace and mentally well. And I think when you've been through challenges with those kinds of things, it really makes you very protective of your own mental health and to move away from things that maybe don't make you feel as good uh, and to make sure that you do lots of things that do make you feel good. But we can all implement some practices and start to learn about what makes us feel better and what makes us feel worse. And there's no like there's no time that's not a good time to start with that stuff. And we have this kind of gift of time that we've been given because of this lockdown situation where actually you could start doing some of this stuff now that will, again, take you forward into the future. So for me personally, I have found that practicing some gratitude first thing in the morning really helps to set a positive tone for my day. And we know scientifically that it does make a difference to people's general outlook and and positivity and their feelings of general overall wellness. So that's really nice. So typically what I do is I'll do some stretching first thing, just in my bed, move my body, check in with my body, see how it feels, see what's going on for me today. I will say lots, not necessarily say it out loud, but say quietly lots of things that I'm grateful for. And I'll set some intentions for the day. So what I want to achieve and uh, what I want to get to and those sorts of things, which just makes me feel really nice and positive about the day. I'll also have a cup of tea in bed at the moment, which is very nice, luxury that I may not be able to carry forward (laughs) with me. And then, yeah, some kind of movement every day is so important for me, getting outside and doing some exercise. If it's walking outside, I might then try and do a sort of um, workout inside as well. So otherwise I'll go for a long run outside, but that physical movement every day is so important for my mental well-being and for my general health then thinking about what I'm going to eat and how I'm going to nourish my body and what my body wants and what I have had and what I haven't had and what I might need a little bit more of or a little bit less of that day so that kind of mindful intention like intentions of eating and what I, what my body wants on that day and what I'm looking for um, in terms of the food that I fancy but also the food that I know will serve me properly and connection human connection is like very high on my list of things that makes me feel happy and well and positive about my life so at the moment making sure that I'm checking in with people every day and talking to my friends and lots of zoom calls and lots of uh contact with my family and friends but normally it would be making sure that every week I'm seeing plenty of people and people who make me feel good and positive and um who I can talk to if I'm not feeling great which is very important for me Definitely. And I think everything you shared there are are things that we can all use and we can all take away, you know, gratitude, human connection and looking after our our mind and body and just those those small accessible ways throughout the day. That's wonderful. And Sophie, if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? So I use Instagram as my kind of main social media platform, but I'm also on Facebook and that's all under Sophie Dietitian. 
and dietitians spelt with T's rather than a T-I-C if you are struggling to find me. Um, and my business is City Dietitians. So website citydietitians.co.uk. Um, as I said, we do lots of different services, have lots of different things going on. So please do have a little look on the website and, and feel free to drop me an email or contact me on social media if you've got questions or comments or feedback or anything you want to share. I'm sure you'll get lots of questions after this. So thank you so much, Sophie. You've been an amazing guest and shared so much important information and wisdom. I hope you have a lovely day. And thank you again for being a guest on the Face Yoga Expert podcast. My pleasure, Danielle. Thank you for having me. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more information on face yoga or you'd like to become a face yoga teacher, just head to our website, faceyogaexpert.com for more information. If you'd like to do a regular structured daily face yoga program to get the best results, you can either use one of my apps, just search Danielle Collins on your app store, or you can use my book, just search Danielle Collins Face Yoga on Amazon. And thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.